Happy New Year, everyone, and Happy New Year to you, Nathan. And welcome to the Back Peg for 2024. Thank you, Mr. Gromos. Happy New Year to you. And uh, Happy New Year to all the listeners as well. Hope everyone had a uh, wonderful time bringing in the new year. And there was so much football to get stuck into off the back of it. And it's the, uh, particularly for those who are very much into the Premier League, the combination of a very hectic December and the start of a January that brings quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. There's uh, not a whole lot of Premier League football in January, but there's lots of football elsewhere. And uh, we're going to go right into it, Laz. What caught your eye and what were your highlights over the, uh, the New Year period since we last had a chat here? Good question, Nathan. Good question. Well, what caught my eye? Hmm. Um, I would say that, man, you caught my eye again. Damn it. Um, it didn't take you long. That <laughs> no, didn't take you long. <laughs> uh, but having said that, Newcastle United uh, also over the break, things weren't that great. Uh, but, you know, playing against the league leaders and the team, your arch nemesis team, which uh, is leading the EPL as we enter into uh, January. 2024, mm-hmm. three points on top ahead of Aston Villa or Liverpool, and who's going to stop them? I think Manchester City, but I think you know, yeah, live, it's between Liverpool and Manchester City for mine. Yeah, it's looking like that for mine too. And City just have that run in them. Like the Bruins back now. Haaland is still a few weeks away, but mm. you would think come February they're just going to go on a massive run as they always do. Like yep. they do it every year and. Look, maybe this year will be different, but just it's there. Yeah. They've gone off to Saudi Arabia, won the Club World Cup. They were only, what, three points off the top. Mm. And they've still got a game in hand, which is that Brentford match that got postponed. Mm. And you can just see that run coming, can't you? And again, it's looking like a, a City-Liverpool title race because Arsenal are falling by the wayside a bit. Yes, very true that, very true. Look, it, it may not be for 13 games, but it may be a nine-game streak or a 10-game streak that Manchester City get, and that might be enough uh, for you know in the context of this title race. But, yes, you mentioned Arsenal. A lot of consternation around Arsenal at the moment. It looks like the wheels have, are being pulled back, shall we say. I think the chariot, you know, I think the chariot, and the horses, you know, the chariot drivers just pulling up a little bit because uh, there's an issue with the horse. Yeah, the uh, the wheels haven't fallen off quite as of yet, but there's a few nuts loose, shall we say? Mm, correct. It's, correct. It's threatening. The wheels are threatening to come off, mm. and a poor performance at Craven Cottage, and prior to that, losing to West Ham, it's not really anything that you can pin your hat on saying that, that this team is right to recover, bounce back, and go on a big title charge. They haven't been dynamic at all this season. They've been more sold at the back, but really poor going forward. Really poor. They have been poor for a while, though, going forward, and that's why there's a lot of talk around them trying to secure the services of Ivan Tony. but I'm not sure if that's going to take place. I'm not sure. I'm if not I... even sure if that's going to fix their problems either. I agree with you. I think their issue is more in midfield. Which is really weird. Because you look is... at that midfield three of Erdegaard, Rice, and... Sometimes have hurts, most of the time have hurts. And you'd think there's enough in there to create chances and score goals, but Odegaard's only scored a couple this season, three, I think. Or yeah, but... one of them was a penalty gifted to him. He's yeah. not really being the same sort of potent player that we've seen in years gone by. Kai Havertz hasn't worked. I think he's stifling Martinelli as well. And this team is just not working at the moment. Yeah, they've been winning ugly, but they've been winning ugly for a while. 
and now mm. the the results aren't coming their way, and that's why there's a lot, you know, a lot of consternation around their performances. But I think the midfield three that you've mentioned, even allowing for Havertz being really hot and cold, to be honest, there have been times where Havertz has played well in up for Arsenal, um, and his contribution has been good um, or of value. But Odegaard and Rice have still been Arsenal's best players for mine this season, right? And their issue is up front. They shouldn't be relying on midfielders to score the goals. No, but in a title-winning team, you need the midfielders to chip in more than what Arsenal's midfielders are at the moment. But their attackers aren't chipping in enough. Yeah. I mean, it's both. The answer is both. Right. So, you know, if if their attackers aren't doing the work and they've been relying on midfield to put the goals in, well, you know, the goals are going to dry up at some stage in parts from the midfield. So, you know... Uh, it's just it's just a really weird one, and obviously, you know, Rice gave away the penalty at West Ham, and and the result, or not at West Ham at home to West Ham, but the uh, game at Craven Cottage was, I think, more telling than what the game at the at the Emirates was against uh, West Ham. I think, yeah, yeah, they're just not the same team really, and everyone looks to Saka to be the focal point of the attack in this side. He's not really hitting the same heights. Yes, he's been double marked in pretty much every game, but the best players still find a way to come through that and shine themselves individually. He's too young to be Arsenal's best player. But that's what's being asked of him now. Well, then the other two need to really look at... I mean, the other two look really need to look at themselves. And for Jesus to actually come out and say, you know what, I'm not a goal scorer. (laughs) He never has been. It's an honest appraisal. Yeah. He works bloody hard, though, I'll say that. He works hard. Like Martinelli relies on space to run into. Yes. And space being created for him. And that's why it works so well from last season because you had Jesus up front who was drifting into wider positions and drifting deeper to open up the pockets for him. The problem is this season, you have us running into that space. Yeah. And clogging it up. So Martinelli's not being able to shine as much. And I that's think... why his goal contributions have been well down this season. I think Martinelli, yeah, is definitely on form, but he can't just blame that on habits. Well, Havertz is taking away his biggest strength from last season. That, that, that's my point. Yeah, sure. But he, well, then he's got to adapt as well, right? Because Havertz is, is not going to be um, out of the picture anytime soon. So it's up to Martinelli to actually change the way that he plays and performs and to contribute in a way that is of value to that team. Yes, you're right. They're two different. You know, they're Martinelli from last season as compared to this season. There's no comparison. I, is it just I, as simple as this is a young team and this is a bump in the road for them? Can you write it off as that? That's a good point. That is a good point. And look, that has been argued in other quarters. Uh, but they should be learning from the experience of last season. And it looks like they haven't. Is it also that Arsenal were the uh, surprise title contender last year and now everyone's sort of going, okay, Arsenal are actually a really good team now. We, we need to treat them with yeah, that we, sort of respect that we do City. With respect and we've, you know, and they've, and they've, found a way to play against them. Possibly. Mm. Possibly. I just think that um Arsenal are either they're playing their cards in a way where it's hard to get a read on them because they're just gritty, right? And they're just doing enough. But my my thought around that is that they can only last for so long. Yeah. Before people find and you out. For mine as well. Like everyone says that the mark of a championship team is being able to win ugly. But that only applies on occasion. Yeah, that you only can't... applies when it's not your day. If you're winning ugly on the regular, it's just poor performances. 
and eventually poor performances lead to poor results, which is what we're seeing, what and, we have seen over this Christmas New Year period. And I think that's what, yes, I agree with you. Yep, that's exactly what uh, with the other the flip side of it was, that um, you can't keep winning ugly all the time. Mm. Not without a particular style. You can win ugly like 1-0, right, but be completely rock solid at the back and not give away any chances, right? Because basically, you know, 30 wins at 1-0 and and eight draws should see you through to win a win a title, right? Yeah. So, you know, most supporters would take a 1-0 win if your team keeps winning. Oh, sure. but And it wouldn't be pretty. Not, yeah. No, it wouldn't be pretty. But you can just have a controlling 1-0. You limit the chance that the other team has. And Correct. And that's my It yeah. looks comfortable. And that's but, the premise. Yeah. And the point of what I'm saying is essentially that Results are not dictated by performances because you can get lucky and other teams can get unlucky with the chances, but mm. performances trend results or results are affected by performances. Yeah, correct in, correct. in the long run. Yeah, correct. And you need strong performances week in, week out because if you have good performances, they'll eventually lead to good results. And the inverse is true as well, which is uh, the case with Arsenal. And as is the case with Manchester United, like the amount of ugly wins they've got this season, it's Staggering. I'm not saying that Arsenal playing at the same level as United. They're not. They're still ahead of us. But the point is that United and Arsenal have been getting results that are not clinical. There's an element of luck involved and yeah, and unsustainability that's in both mm. teams at the moment. Mm. No, I agree with you there. Completely agree with you there. Um, what was your takeaway from the week? Uh, for mine, I think the uh, the story that got most of my attention from overseas it has got to be what's been happening at Birmingham City. I was going to get onto that later on, but that's okay. <laughs> we can do that now. Let, let, let's lead with it. No, no, we'll lead, let, but no, let's, bump let's, it up the order. Yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> and Wayne Rooney being sacked as Birmingham City boss after 15 matches where the team has gone from sixth in the league under John Eustace to now 20th with two wins in 15. <laughs> it's just amazing how much it's fallen apart for Birmingham City. And goes to show that uh, the owners who want flashy names in the dugout, it's pretty obvious they don't really know what they're doing. Seems that way, Nathan. Seems that way. It's just a weird one where why would why would they sack John Eustace and in, in you know being in the playoff promotion, you know, promotional playoff spot and then get Wayne Rooney and it's gone south ever since. And you know, they're basically two spots above relegation at the moment. Mm. It's it just strikes me as a really weird decision. Really weird decision. It's a, an appointment based on name only to get Rooney in. And yes, to. he did decent things at Derby. He was lauded for how much Derby were kept in the fight against relegation. Agreed. With yeah. all and their troubles. To be fair, he did and a good job. He did do a good job. Yes, they eventually got relegated, but they were very close. Yeah, that's correct. They were very close. And he did all right at DC United early doors. But that sort of fell off towards the end. Yeah, his record isn't great there. And what he's done at Birmingham now, surely that's a significant mark against his managerial career that will take some time to recover from. I'm, mm. Let's hope he does, just as in general, just to uh, see him get back on the horse, so to speak. But to rip everything up at the start of the season because you see a flashy name available in Wayne Rooney. And it's not it's, really. It's not. It's not the way to run your football club, is it? No, but it's not really a flashy name in managerial terms either. To be fair, no, but it's a flashy name in football. Yeah, that that's mm. all it is, really. Yeah, yeah. 
it, it was just a strange decision to begin with. And yeah, it's just even strange now. I just don't get it. I mean, look, people make mm. mistakes and, you know, boards make mistakes and they realize that uh, they made an error with regards to appointing Rooney. But just this is, yeah, it's just a mess there now at Birmingham, at Birmingham City. And that club should be, you know, fighting for promotion into the Premier League. Should be. Like, I'm, <laughs> fans won't appreciate me saying this, I'm sure, but they should be on a level pegging with Villa. Like, Oof, that's tough. Because they're both from the second biggest city in England. Yeah. Significant resources in terms that with what that brings. Birmingham City have been massively underperforming for nearly two decades now. They have been, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. And, I mean, in contrast, Villa are having a good season this season, but, you know, they were in the doldrums of the championship, managed to get themselves up, uh, promoted again, and, and um, they've managed to consolidate what they're doing right now under the uh, guidance of Unai Emery, who I think has been a breath of fresh air to uh, Tassin Villa since he's taken on the job. And to the Premier League. And to the Premier League. Yeah, and he's done an amazing job. He's done an amazing job Mm -hmm. there at Villa. It's incredible. Yeah. But Birmingham City is, I wouldn't say on par with Villa, but they're a big club and they should be in the Premier League really by rights. Yeah. I say by rights in terms of... You can go back to our draft. Yeah, correct. (laughs) Correct, correct. (laughs) We both have Birmingham City in there. Yeah, correct. 100%. 100%. Because they should be a Premier League team. Oh, totally. totally. The problem is you have to earn it. More so than the Sheffield clubs, right? Have, have all four of them in, <laughs> I say. <laughs> but you're right. You know, it has to be earned. And Birmingham City have not been in a position to um, to do so for quite a while, unfortunately. It's sad mm. for that club, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but it, the championship is looking interesting. I think, um, obviously, Leicester's running away with it at the moment. Yes, and uh, Ipswich are falling back to the pack. They are. They are it's indeed. automatic promotion. Which has been a little bit of a poor run here. Yeah, over the Christmas New Year break, it has not been good. Mm. And Leeds and Southampton are close behind. With Sunderland rounding out the sixth spot at the yes. moment, the last playoff place for promotion. So, And that is a very nice segue, Laz, because... Long way to Mackens. go yet. Hang on, hang on. Long way to go yet, Nathan. Long way to go yet. Nothing's assured. Nothing's guaranteed. You might get, you know, you might get uh, other clubs that are, uh, you know, Going to overshadow uh, Sunderland's uh, run <laughs> towards a uh, a playoff promotion, you know, promotional playoff place, I should say. Mm. So I'm looking at Hull City, I'm looking at Coventry City, and Cardiff City. And you want to see them come up, but don't you? And three and throw in Middlesbrough. I'd rather Middlesbrough than, than Sunderland, to be honest. No, you want Sunderland, surely. Uh, that the is the derby in the northeast. It is, but it's only the Australian connection as well. Right? Schwartz was at Middlesbrough, but Duke was mm. at Middlesbrough. You know, and you've got three there now. That's right, and I, I would like to see that. I would prefer to have Middlesbrough in sixth and Sunderland, I can tell you. <laughs> but um, anyhow, yes, it would be nice to see Sunderland in the Premier League. I won't lie. I'd like to see both Sunderland and Middlesbrough in the Premier League, but... If I had to pick one or the other, I'd go with Middlesbrough, just because mm. of the Australian connections. Yeah, um, nothing, nothing untoward <laughs> against Sunderland in any way, aside from <laughs> aside from me not liking them. But that's yeah, just, not that you need an excuse. No, that's right, exactly right. Exactly but right. it is Newcastle Sunderland this weekend. Yes, it is in the FA Cup. Yeah, absolutely incredible that uh, mm-hmm. we have this game again after how many years? I think it's eight seasons. Yeah, I think it's the first time in eight seasons. And it's um, 
Yes, yeah, and Sutherland are the form team coming into this. Saturday night. It's coming Saturday night at quarter to midnight. So it's the early kickoff, effectively, on Saturday night. Oh, actually, it's not the early kickoff, but it is one of the earlier kickoffs because the whole stack of uh, games at 11.30 city time on Saturday yep. night as well. And those will all be on Paramount here I believe in Australia? So. I believe so, yes. And I'm pretty sure Paramount show every game of the FA Cup third round, which is great. It's not like the old days on ESPN where you had to take what they gave you. I hope they do because, mm. um, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly if they do televise all the games. I think they miss out on a couple. I think they, you know, they get the majority of them, but yeah, I'm not sure that um, they managed to get all of them. But um, look, there's some interesting ties this uh, this weekend. I have to say, there is like but, starting Friday morning well, as well. You know? Yeah. But Newcastle is the big ticket. I think so. Look, I think it overshadows Arsenal-Liverpool, to be fair. Yeah, it does. I don't particularly have any interest to watch Arsenal reserves against Liverpool reserves. And uh, this Newcastle-Sunderland time where Derby, as I said before, Sunderland are the form team coming into it. Newcastle, what, one win in eight? Yeah, about that. Don't talk about that one win. Uh, Sunderland are... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Sunderland into the uh, top six, and Jack Clark is having a fantastic season. So we they can do it. So we shouldn't talk about uh, Newcastle's win against Fulham. That's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's gonna be a tough one. I, I'm I'm hopeful that Newcastle are able to, to go to Sunderland and get the win. Uh, I understand that there will be players being arrested though as well. So mm. it you know it's not great, but let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah, it's a derby. Yeah, it a is dance. a derby. Yeah. And as the cliche goes, form goes out the window. It does. And Newcastle need to be at their best, right? Newcastle need to be at their best. So there's no doubt that um, uh, that form does go out the window and that, you know, Sunderland being the home team will be difficult. And, you know, the recent new manager with Michael Bill, yeah, let's wait and see what happens. But, you know, I'm confident that Newcastle can deliver the goods against Sunderland. I think, though, that if for whatever reason, things don't go right this Saturday, that's when people will start looking at Eddie Howe's job. I, I was going to ask you that. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Mm. But is this they should game have. bigger than it should be for Newcastle, given yeah. it's just an FA Cup third round tie against a championship club? Yeah. In essence, yeah. yes, I know it's Sunderland and Derby, but it is FA Cup game against a championship team. Mm. It shouldn't have that sort of bearing on the future of the manager or not. But if it was the pair shape in this FA Cup game for Newcastle coming up in the in the league, they've got City and Villa. Mm. It's uh, not looking good if it was to be a continuation of this poor run. Yeah, it shouldn't be a factor. Well, you know, and it shouldn't be the case that if things don't go right this weekend, anyhow, will be under under scrutiny. But it's unfortunately it's the the business that we're in, right? And it's a nature, you know, it's the nature of the business. Um, Results are paramount, and you know, knocking out Sunderland would be a good way for a rebound for the club to well to take place. You're right. The next two fixtures in the EPL are not great. They're not going to do Newcastle any favours. But I think um, look, Manchester City, even for allowing for them to be vulnerable, uh, Newcastle are more vulnerable at the moment. Um, Villa at home are a an interesting proposition. Um, we can't read too much into the first game of this season where at St. James, 
Newcastle beat Villa 5-1. That was a freak result. I think Newcastle it was. Just a, every half chance yeah, came their way. That's correct, right? So, you know, I think if out of those two games, to be honest, if Newcastle managed to get a draw away at Villa, I'd be happy right now as it stands, right? Yeah, I think. I think as that's reasonable. As it looks for this season, going to Villa Park and getting a point can be seen as a good result. Yeah, I, I think so, right? Mm. Having City at home, look, City are just, <laughs> again, it could be the case that a point at home would be, you know, against City. If somebody were to offer it, I'd take it. If somebody said, hey, there's two points in the next two games, you take it. Yeah. And you just move on and you go, yep, okay, let, let's get our season back on track now. Um even allowing, I thought Newcastle's performance was okay against Liverpool. It wasn't that. I mean, I don't know the expected goals, the expected <laughs> yeah. goals thing, right? I mean, yes, seven and a half, whatever the case was. Yeah. Um. Great. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. You know, big deal. <laughs> expected, like I said, expected goals. I think is well and truly um, over. Stated or inflated, people put too much credence on that particular stat. I'm not a fan of it. What is it, 7.3, 7.5, something like that? I think it was 7.6 or something, right? To be something honest, something like that, just right. ridiculous. Just, I, I saw yeah. a, a couple yeah. of uh, stats coming off the back of it that 7.6 or however many it is XG for Liverpool is a quarter of what United have racked up all season. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and if um, that day when Liverpool won 7 0 at Anfield. If they were as clinical against Newcastle as they were on that day, they would have won by fifteen or sixteen goals. <laughs> the broke the Brovka had a great game. That's uh, in goals, yeah, he did. right? And I don't think that the defense was. I don't think the defense was that shaky, right? Liverpool were you know, just that good at the moment. I, I don't think Liverpool. I don't think Newcastle actually. Really, I looked at it and I thought, okay, didn't play that bad. Right, had had a couple of chances that they should have actually taken, um, you know, and the game could have been three all. That Jota penalty, please, come on, no, oh, come on. <laughs> it's it, uh, Alan Shearer was right. I don't know if you saw what Alan Shearer said. And Ian no, Wright. I, I missed that. Uh, well, to quote Alan Shearer, it was a fucking disgrace. <laughs> quote unquote. Yep. Right. Um, actually, let me find it because it was just hilarious. I thought. You know, it, it was just absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, he, he let everyone know what he thought about it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't right. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, find this quote, but, yes, um, just nuts. Uh, and Ian Wright wasn't, didn't, wasn't quite as explicit. Right, it wasn't quite as explicit, but it was just just wrong. Here we go. He didn't say fucking disgrace. He said fucking embarrassing. My apologies, I got it wrong. <laughs> and Ian Wright said, "Would rather go down for a, you know." And this is about John. And this is right. Would rather go down for a penalty than put the ball in an empty net. Yeah. Yep. Now it took him for ages to get down as well. That's the funny thing. It was like, have I been? You know, have has contact been made? Yes, I think contact has been made. Should I go down now? Yes, I think I'll go down now. <laughs> and I'm down. Yep. You know, um, there's no dispute that Liverpool were the better side of the night and deserved the, deserved the win. Um, I feared it was actually to be worse than that. 
to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? But um, La Liga is back, Nathan. Fantastic. It's been too yes. long. It's only been a couple of weeks. That's right. <laughs> but uh, and look, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead, but I guess what's I mean, it'll, we'll know the result after the release of the pod or after the pod drops. But uh, Girona, Atletico Madrid. Whoa, big game, big game. Mm, mm. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Real Madrid uh, also uh, back in action as well. Surely they'll pick up three points against Mallorca. I would have thought so. Being at home, but again, uh, the the pot, the uh, the backpackers will know the result of that. Mm. But that Girona and Atletico Madrid is very interesting indeed. I think. Yeah, I think winner is definitely in the box seat for top four. And agree. Girona need to uh, keep the points rolling in if they are going to uh, continue on this title charge. The level on points with Real at the moment, the exact same record as even still, and uh, with fourteen wins, three draws, and one defeat. But a tough test awaits yeah, from Simeone's men. Yeah, if they can go through it. Then really, there's well, if they pick up three points in the morning, there's no reason why they can't go yeah. all the way. Mm. They've already beaten Barcelona. Mm. Be that lady, mm. if it is to be, then Real's the only team left in the way, and they could ban the challenge. But we should mention with Real, Ancelotti, new deal, new deal, and he's giving Brazil a wide berth. Mm. I don't why blame would you him. Leave? Yeah. Well, exactly right. Why would you leave? Why would you leave and go to what seemingly is a basket case in Brazil at the moment? Yep. Because the president, the interim president, has now been removed from the Brazilian Football Federation. Right. So they have an uh, interim interim president and a, and um, <laughs> you know a caretaker manager. Yeah, not looking good. Not looking no. good. So there's a meeting in Brazil later on this month with regards to um, appointing a new chairman or new president, rather. And, yeah, let's just wait and see what happens. But obviously they've got Copa America coming up and Brazil not looking good. And no, certainly not. Certainly not. And the World and, Cup ca- uh, qualification campaign has been in the skids as well. Mm, it's looking like a really tough time for Brazil at the moment. And look, they've got the talent to come through it and be at the other other side in enough time. But in the short term, it's looking pretty dire. And I'm looking forward to doing uh, Copa America stuff in six months' time because we could be covering the uh, collapse of the Brazilian national team. Or a resurgence. Or a resurgence. And or both resurgence. are good stories. Yeah. I'm just curious as to who they will approach now because they obviously want someone outside of Brazil. Mm. And I have a feeling it could be someone that's Portuguese. Oh, no, surely not. I didn't say who. I'm just saying I have a feeling <laughs> someone that, that, that could be that is Portuguese. <laughs> the special one. Uh, I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> but, but you were yes. insinuating that, were you not? Not necessarily, but yes, I think. Well, it's not going to be Nuno, and it's not going to be Ruben Amorim. There's a lot of Portuguese Coaches and there Spanish is. coaches, for that matter. But um, as far as name recognition, yes, obviously Jose would be at the top of the list there. That would make for interesting viewing. Santos? Now, I think that that would be good for Brazil, but Brazilians won't stand for it. No, I wouldn't stand for it. <laughs> the, no, Brazilians wouldn't stand for it. It's just 
too conservative, too defensive in nature, right? And and, yep. and do they need someone like that? Well, you know what? When Brazil last won the World Cup, their defense was very, very miserly, very miserly, mm. right? And yes, they had the attacking prowess going forward. I don't know if they have the same quality up front than what the last side that won a World Cup did. Yeah, no, definitely not. Right, definitely not. So this Brazil twenty fourteen can't hold a candle to Brazil O two. No, um, yeah, it's they need right now. Having watched them play against Argentina, where they were lucky to just be beaten by the one goal at home. They were at sixes and sevens. That score could have been four or five, right? Um, it's just that Argentina weren't as efficient as they should have been in front of goal or clinical, right? So Brazil need defensive work, and Santos would be a good coach for them for that, but I don't see Brazilians standing for that. So maybe they get someone else with a different kind of bus, and yeah. perhaps it is Jose. Maybe. I I still don't think Jose is the free-flowing or a manager that would fit the samba style, the, Got the, more. the, the football, the Salasal. Like. His charisma is more is more samba than what um, his football is, right? That's for sure. So <laughs> that's where that might um, get them favour because effectively Santos would be a interesting shout, but he's not going to go to Brazil, right? No. So... Um, I'll because, just run through a different because, Portuguese nah, coaches. Because of the personality, <laughs> because of the personality clashes, right? Well, not yeah. personality clashes, personality types, I should say. Whilst mm. um, Jose would probably be a bit more of a cultural fit, if I can put it that way, and acceptable, more palatable than what Santos would be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Carlo is a good fit for Brazil. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But He's a great fit for Brazil, but unfortunately for them, he's liking what he's doing at Real Madrid. And Do you hey, blame there's him? a... There's a certain um, French player who's off contract at the end of the year that uh, I'm sure Real Madrid are sniffing around. I'm sick of talking they about say, him. They say they're not. I'm sick of talking about him. Because <laughs> you it's have been, to, but no, because it's you know this has been going on for 18 months. More than that. And more than that, but <laughs> the last intense period of it was 18 months ago when you and I happened mm. to be in Madrid. Yeah. Right. Um, I remember there was jokes flying around about, are we going to spot an Mbappe? (laughs) Well, not only that, um, insiders in the club were pretty bullish Mm. on their chances at the time, if you recall. I don't think we're giving away any trade secrets there. They were pretty pretty bullish on what they they thought their chances were and only to be let down again. But look, it isn't... There is a sense of inevitability about it. I think it does happen this time. Um, and I, he goes on a free, which is ridiculous, really. But he ends up yeah. going He ends up going on a free uh, to Madrid, um, you know, in the summer, in the European summer. And Haaland's agent can talk about Real Madrid all he likes, but if Mbappe goes, Haaland, there's no place for Haaland there. Uh, I don't I know. Think there, there is. Isn't. No, there isn't. Well, hmm. You play Vinny on the left from and Papa on the right and Harland up front. Okay. From a FFP standpoint, I don't see it happening. You wait for like fair play, financial fair play standpoint, I don't see that happening because Mbappe will be getting top dollar. Yep. Right? Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be going. Right? Um, and you're going to have the likes of Rodrigo, you know, 
um, other you know other attackers that Real Madrid have. Where you know why would Haaland up and leave right now? New challenge. He's won everything, and with the financial reason for Real Madrid, Tony Cruz is on the verge of leaving. Luka Modric is on the verge of leaving. They're not going to be there in three years' time. I can see that, but I would actually rather spend that that money on midfielders. But you've got Chobini, Bellingham, Valverde, Bellingham, yes, Camavinga, Camavinga as well. That yep. you don't need another star midfielder to come into there. Maybe can, can uh, all, a squad player, but you, can you don't do... need someone of the the likes of Modric and Cruz to come in. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. What is a midfield three of Chobini, yeah. Bellingham, and Valverde not good enough? Football brains. Bellingham would have to sit in. You don't want him to. Chowmany, maybe, right? Could play that role, but geez, man, you lo- you lose so much with Cruz going. It, it, the guy is underrated. He has been an incredible, incredible footballer. I mean, how long has he been at Madrid for? <laughs> well, it's 11 years. I would I say, think. yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah. at least a dozen, almost a dozen years, right? It's been incredible. No, it's not been that long. It's not no. been that long. Because... Let's call it, call it 11. Because right. I remember at the time, and you'll find this funny, just the way it came about. Sure. David Moyes at Manchester United had mm. lined up Tony Cruz. There was an agreement with Tony Cruz to come really? to Manchester United. I had no there idea. Was. Wow. And the reason so why it didn't eventuate. 2012, isn't it? 2012. No, 20, it was 13, 14 season, the Moyes season. 13, 14 season, right. Okay. Um, Not 12, the reason 13. why Tony Cruz didn't end up at Old Trafford is because no. the club sacked David Moyes, in comes Louis van Gaal. Oh, and it. he said, Tony Cruz, no, nah, don't want him. Wow. And so off he went to Madrid. That's what happened. So he was basically going. Yeah. Gee, how different his career would have turned out. Yeah. And how different the past decade would be in Northern England. <laughs> and Madrid for that matter. And Madrid. Yeah. Mm. Uh, phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. Incredible servant of Real Madrid. And uh, him and Modric have just been out of this world for, for that side. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. There's class players. And that midfield three when Casimiro was there was the best in the world. It was. It's not far off it. I mean, look, I know Modric isn't there as much now, but Cruz is still playing as mm. a starter, right? And it just goes, you know, he's up there with, uh, in fact, he's probably been more rival and a better servant to the game, not because of quality, but because of uh, injury. Than Tiago Alcantara, because Tiago has got a similar brain football wise, right? And yeah. and I think if he was fit, if he was fit, Liverpool would have gotten the most out of him. They wouldn't be looking for another six. No, but unfortunately, injuries have got the better of him. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, right? Because he, he's just a joy to watch. He, mm. he is a joy to watch. Um, but yeah, it's funny how uh, injuries can play can play a role with regards to that. Very much so. And Laz, uh Real Madrid needing a centre back this month to they come do. through the door with they, they do Alaba they do. and Militao yep. picking up long term injuries, and Angelotti said as much that it's a priority for him. Mm. It would have to be. Are they going to get Varane back? That's been kicking around. If you're Varane, would you go? I would. I would too, because you're going to. If you Carlo, do you want him back? Because yeah, absolutely. Because he he only wanted to leave because of wanting another challenge. Mm. He's seen that the grass isn't all that green on the other side. <laughs> to be fair, um, tell you what, Newcastle could do with him as well again, but with Varanasi injuries. Yeah, he's I, always two weeks away from a knock. He's got to do something about you know not not now at this point in his career, but 
again, it's a shame. It's a shame. He has been mm. quite injury prone. But yeah. I hear, uh, but I hear, um, you know, Calvin Phillips is on, you know, is being considered for Newcastle and likewise Ramsdale. Yeah, good pickups. Look, I'd take Calvin Phillips. I would. I'd take Calvin Phillips for sure. Yeah, he was a very good player at Leeds. Didn't work out at City because, yeah, for whatever reason, he couldn't get peppified. But right. any team who picks him up, it'll be a, a big bonus. Mm. Whilst we're on English midfield transfers, Laz, we should talk about Conor Gallagher. Yes. Looks like he's on his way across London to uh, Tottenham. Which is fascinating. This is a fantastic pickup for Ange. If, if they can do that business, and also apparently they're picking up a uh, defender out of um, Italy as well, Romanian defender out of Italy. Um, his name escapes me right now off the top of my head, but if for about $25 million, mm. I think it's Genoa. I think the Genoa is the club, but I can't remember the name of the player. But it's, you know, if they do that kind of business, all power to him because that would be a, a really good pickup. But um, I've got something for you here, just off transfers. Go on. Listen to this. 25 games, 22 wins, zero losses, 81 goals scored. Which team am I describing there? A very good one. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be... Uh... By Leverkusen, is it? It would be by Leverkusen. You get the chocolates, Nathan. <laughs> Put him in the post. Zabi Alonso. That's right. <laughs> Zabi Alonso's by Leverkusen. 25 games, 22 victories, no defeats, 81 goals. Absolutely nuts. What a season they're having. I reckon they're going to win the Bundy. I think they are too, you know. And it'll be the funniest thing ever. Harry Kane goes to Bayern Munich to guarantee himself a piece of silverware. They're already out of the cup. I reckon they're not going to win the league and they're probably not going to win the Champions League. They might. It'd be quite funny. It wouldn't be for Harry Kane, but... <laughs> it would be funny for... Well, it wouldn't be for Harry Kane, but I, I would enjoy it. I think it'd be hilarious. Um, I'm sure and, he would see the funny side of it too. And they deserve to win it yeah, so far. They do. But, you know, they're by and far the biggest or the best side in Germany at the moment, without a shadow of a doubt, by far. It's just a question of whether they can handle... Losing Boniface, correct for the next month ish, and the other African players have got in their squad as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bayern are not without that as well. They're losing Kim. Correct, that's right. So, what goes around comes around, I suppose. But correct, it's an interesting time of the calendar for all teams across Europe because look, I don't necessarily think Europe should have an international window for the Asian Cup and mm. the African Cup of Nations, but. I like what the Premier League's doing at the moment because there is only one match week in January and there's a, a decent break now, partly because it's rest from the hectic December schedule, mm. but also I think it's, the added benefit is you're not losing players for many match weeks. Yeah, correct. When these tournaments are on. Because it, it you wouldn't like to say that managers and clubs don't sign African and Asian players because of these tournaments, but it's got to play a factor at some point. Like if you've got two equal players... One is an international for an African side. One is an international for a European side. You're probably going to lean towards the European because you're not going to lose them for two months every two years. It depends on what the Asian or AFCON player give you. Yeah. But and, if you've got and, two and, identical and, players. And that's got to be, and the quality of that player has to outweigh the quality of the European player. Yeah. But if you've got two identical players and two identical deals, you're going to choose a European player. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It just depends yeah. on it just depends on mm. you know the nature of the player, their contribution or what their perceived contribution is, and you take it from there, I guess. 
but there's a whole stack of African players and Asian players that are in those leagues and uh, thriving. So yeah, for sure. Mm. I, I think maybe it's if these January February tournaments were in June July, you would see even more Asian African players in Europe in the big leagues. Yep, hard to miss. Well, I can I can see where you're coming from with regard to that. I can't disagree really. I've got a quote for you. Go on. Uh, I just want you to guess it. Who's who actually said it? In modern football, the two centre backs have become the playmakers. The number ten behind the strikers can't be called the playmaker anymore because the space in which they operate is too restricted. Too restricted, rather. Uh, today's playmakers are found in the middle of the back four. Hint: I've already mentioned him in this pod in this episode. Or oh, is it Jose? No, but close. Not Portuguese, as in coach of the same club that. Um, Jose has. I don't know if I necessarily agree, to be honest. It's your uh, Dutch compatriot, Louis van Gaal. Mm. I don't disagree. I don't agree with him. You don't agree with him? No. I think, I think the role of the number 10 as we grew up with it has changed. And that the yeah, referee that... and the ref and what is one of the bugbears of mine, the referee <laughs> is actually in that position most of the bloody time. Yes. <laughs> what are you doing in a playmaker's role, mate? You're not, you're not a playmaker. Get out of the way. Everyone always says referees want to be the star of the show and they're like, ah, in the number, in the number frustrates 10 spot. The, frustrates <laughs> the crap out of me because that's where a midfielder should be making a late run in or actually being the uh, in the position to receive the ball in order to either switch it, you know, take a touch and have a crack or play someone in. Absolutely drives me nuts. And mm-hmm. what's happened is because of that, at that top level, at that professional level, the players know it, so they don't actually go into that go into that position. Yeah, uh, unless you who who said it? I think it was Bruno Fernandez. He goes and stands next to the referee because there's no defender there. It's like you go and uh, kick the ball to where the seagulls are because that's where the, the space is. And he's, he's not wrong. He's in. He, yeah. If that's the case, then he's a lot smarter than what I think he, he, he has been, <laughs> right? Because I think he's a bit of a tool. But <laughs> tool doesn't mean dumb. No, and yes, that's true. It's in character, right? Personality, but and, but also, I normally would associate with that. You're not, you know, um, <laughs> you, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? Um, if that's the case, he's very clever because. Mm. That's where he needs to stand. That's where he should be receiving the ball and should be telling the ref to, you know what, take a couple of steps to your yeah. right, mate, or to your left. Exactly. But from for him this season, he's way too deep because he's got to cover for Scott McTominay's uh, late I'm, runs in the box, I'm, 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 often I'm, runs in the box. But we're, we're, we're not sticking on this topic. We are no, going back to centre-back ta- playmakers. I'm not talking about Scott McTominay. No. Next. Um- <laughs> and, and Manchester United's perceived problems. No, uh, I don't want to talk about Scott, Scott me talking as much as you do. Um, but Although going back to he Louis' cop, quote. He did cop it on the weekend. And by rights, by rights, he should have. Yes, that's true. Um, centre-backs are not the play, playmakers. They're not. Well, centre-halves. Centre-halves, yes. Um, they're not playmakers. They are tasked with more possession-based more possession. yep. things than they have been in years gone by. Yes, true. But you don't sign a centre back because of how many chances they create for strikers. No, that's true. That's true. I've got a question for you. Go on. Uh, do you subscribe to the theory that the two thousand world, two thousand and six World Cup was probably the best World Cup, or you know, that we've seen, and that football will never hit that height again? Oh, you're not going to be happy with me here, Laz. Mm-hmm. 
But outside of the big Socceroos moments, I don't really remember the 2006 World Cup. Oh, you need to. Okay, so we're going to revisit this question again, right? You've got homework. <laughs> You've got homework for the next for the next episode of the pod, right? In addition to all our Afcon and Asian yeah, Cup previous yeah, stuff, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, You've got homework. In, we need to cover off this question because I am keen to get your thoughts on it because I remember the 2006 World Cup. I didn't and, watch it that much. Yeah. Um, well, it's time that you did. Mm. So we can reassess this and, and <laughs> get the thoughts of the backpackers as well because the talent on display at that World Cup was insane mm. when one looks back at it now, right? And it's nearly 20 years, right? Um, and look, 2010 – if I go 2010, 2014, they weren't that great. 2018, 2022, the additions were fantastic. But the quality of players in the 2006 World Cup and the teams were hang just on, Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. 2014 was a great World Cup. It wasn't that great. It was. No, nah, it wasn't. No, when you compare it to 2018 or 2022. 2018 wasn't that good. Mm, football was pretty good in 2018. There's way more... And, and memorable and that, moments out of 14 than 18. And, prefer- and I'll tell you why that was the case, because of the climate as well, the conditions. Mm. It was, yes, it was summer in Russia, but it wasn't that hot. It was, you know, like relatively mild compared nah, to- Brazil 14 was great. Compared to European summers. Uh, look, 14 wasn't bad, but I wouldn't say it was great. I think the last World Cup we saw was just phenomenal. Yeah. 2022 got- is by far the best World Cup that I've, I've seen as a World Cup standalone. But the argument is that, and it's been going online, this is this theme that, look, because Zidane was there and Ronaldo was there and Rooney was at the height of his powers then. And, it know, sounds like nostalgia for me. Yeah, look, it could be. But I'd be curious to, to get your feedback on it. <laughs> and, we can oh, de- think- and we can debate this at a uh, another point in time. Give it another decade and there'll be people arguing the same thing about 14 and 18. Um, look, 18 was good, I thought. Well, I thought 18 was good. 14 was really good. Because, look, the moments in 2014, right? I'll just run them off. Van Persie's header, Tim Cahill's volley, Hamas Rodriguez's yeah. half volley. Yes, the, yes. The celebrations for the Colombian team. The uh, the Mexico and Netherlands game as well, right at the end of the controversy with the Robin penalty. Mm-hmm. There was so much. The Brazil 7-1. There's so yeah. many big moments in that big, tournament for me. Big moments, absolutely. We're talking about quality of football and calibre of football. Moments, I agree. Mm. Absolutely. Moments, I completely understand. 2010 had moments, but it wasn't that great. Like Suarez handball off the line, you know what I mean? Yeah, Harry Kill handball. Correct. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but the 2006 World Cup was definitely uh, definitely special. And maybe you're right it, as far as nostalgia, you know, Coming into it, and maybe people preparing for another tournament in Germany, and to you know mm, try and hype yeah. up a um, you know try and hype up the upcoming Euro. I think that's a good point. Like a tournament hosted in Germany is really good, from what I've read and what I understand mm. about it. Mm. Like Germans really get behind hosting a tournament and oh. the culture going from town to town. It is unlike it, many it, other places. It would be great to be at this Euro. This Euro will be a good one. Yeah, got no doubts about it. This you know this year's Euro later on will be really good, but and it'll um, be night and day to uh, Euro twenty. Correct. Yeah, bit of a fizzer. Euro twenty. Yeah, nah. It, it was a bit of a fizzer, wasn't it? A league. Yeah, let's do it. Lots of Aussie news. Lots of Aussie news. Oh. Brisbane have appointed a new coach. They have Ben Khan. Yes. Good move. Very good yeah. move. 
and it's good to see an opportunity go to another local coach. Yep, which is something cool. we can expect the seniors to come with the second division and all that. Correct. And the Correct. effects of that. But in the meantime, it's great to see a coach who's Ernie Stripes in the dugouts at uh, Central Coast, mm-hmm. as well as what he's done in the uh, the MPL level as well. Yeah, Ribble Olympic he's, FC. Yeah. Yeah, done some wonderful stuff at lower levels. So it's great to see him given the opportunity. And I think given the time and the opportunity of Brisbane Raw, this is the best bet they've had since what? Since Ange, probably. Mm, mm. Best opportunity they've had because Brisbane have been a sleeping club for so long. And one coach doesn't eradicate all the problems that the club has, but I often say results mask a lot of problems. And True. Brisbane Raw start winning. Well, Brisbane Raw continue winning because they had a very good start to the season. Mm. Um, then a lot of the problems do sort of get swept under the rug for the time being. Sure do. And well, it's a good appointment. It's a smart appointment. It's one that I would like to see more clubs emulate, dip into the MPL talent pool, because there is great coaches down there and ones that deserve an A-League call-up, so to speak. And look, hats off to Casper Tafta, Brisbane Raw, for going out and making the appointment. Yes, it was the obvious one to go for. It was pretty much their only option, but mm. they've still taken somewhat of a gamble on him. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't have any uh, managerial experience in the A-League. So absolutely. It's still a slight gamble, but uh, good luck to Ben. He's got a big job on his hands. What was your highlight of the last weekend? Well, the weekend gone by. Oh, it's Jack Owen's goal, isn't it? <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> what a screamer. Yeah. yeah. That was worth the price of admission. And uh, poor Jack Gibson in goal for the Wanderers. The first shot he faces in the A-League. It's <laughs> that one from Jake Oldman. Absolute screamer. Absolute screamer of a goal. Up Should... there for goal of the season. Yeah, and, uh... It is up there for the goal of the season. I'd be surprised if it isn't, actually, because the quality of that strike was just absolutely sensational, to be honest. He's having a very good time of it, Jake Holman, mm, mm. this season, um, um, playing out of position out on the wing. Uh, I had a very good view at it from the uh, away end at yep. uh, Parramatta Stadium, and look, not a good result for the Bulls, but uh, a good moment nonetheless. I think I saw you in the crowd. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that many of us in the away. No, that's right. That's right. A couple, <laughs> couple of surprises though. I have to say, um, Sydney beating um, Wellington. <laughs> yeah, we picked yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> which is we got that one wrong, didn't we? Yeah, uh, uh, I think both I agree, the men's and the women said that. Uh, yeah, Phoenix would uh, win both games. Yeah, wasn't to be. Wasn't to be. Uh, and Newcastle Jets beating the uh, beating Western United rather. Mm-hmm. That was. A uh, another interesting match. Um, victory too good for Adelaide. Yep. There's no surprises there because Adelaide's very patchy at the moment. They are. They are. Mm. They need some serious work. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, and a good well, win for the Mariners as well. Yes, it was a good win for the Mariners. Um, playing out from the back. Mm-hmm. Saw a case of it in the Central Coast versus Perth in the A League Women's. And if I had hair, I'd be tearing it out. You got some on your chin. Yeah, that's about well, I'm not pulling that one out, I can tell you. That's way too painful. Um, look, we're all for great football. We're all for, yes, trying to play it out of the back if you can. If you can't, for goodness sakes, just launch it. Just launch it, right? I know it's not great for, for, for football, right? It's not beautiful football, but if in doubt, kick it out. That's the old adage, mm, right? Yep. Or go hit the corners, man. Do something, right? Aim for the for the other, aim for the corner, back corner flag, right? Because sometimes you're going to play yourself out of danger. The amount of times, not only in A League women's, to be fair, but in the Premier League, in, you see it, right? 
And it seems to me that players are afraid to actually take the onus to go, you know what? I've got a hoikit here. I'm not going to try and play it out. I'm just going to, there's nothing on, or I fear making a mistake. I'm just going to go along. Yeah. And managers are all for playing out. And the reasons for playing out from the back are well documented. And I think part of the, the give and take of applying that to your team is that you're going to get it wrong every now and then. But as you say, it is on the players to uh, work out when it's on and when to, it's not. <laughs> yeah, when it's on, when it's not, and how quickly they're able to make that judgment. Because we've seen a few instances this season that they've got it wrong and repeatedly wrong in the same game. And uh, yeah, Central Coast against Perth in the in the women's was uh, no different. Mm. Yeah, but that's about it for me. I don't know if you've got anything else, Nathan. I want to talk about uh, the Socceroos. And I've got another Australian football story that we're going to come to as well. Oh, that's right. You just reminded me I've got something else for you, which we uh, touched on last week, which we need to talk about. Cool. Uh, But Socceroos, Laz, I want to talk about Alex Robertson. Yes. Because, as we know, he's not been picked for the Asian Cup. Yes. And it seems as though he's slipping away from the green and gold. Because, yes, I know this ventures into things like gossip columns and... Yes, it seems like that. Mm. <laughs> but Alex Robertson has deleted all Socceroos-related content off his Insta. All right. And someone left a comment saying, uh, yes, now for Peru, which was liked by Alex. So put two and two together. And I think you're getting 14. I think it's a bit of shit staring. <laughs> like, not from Alex's side. Obviously, he'd be quite cut that um, he was called up in previous camps and... Um, you know, wasn't successful in getting to the Asian Cup. Mm. But, uh, yes, there are family ties there, and that's why he can, I believe, qualify for Peru uh, through his mother and um, um, Scotland and England through heritage or ancestry Yeah, as well. Because I think he was born in England as well, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, not sure. Um, but he Mark, is Mark is, in- Yeah, Mark, his father, was uh, a pro in... Um, in in England and yep. Scotland, and um, uh, Alex's grandfather played for Scotland. Right. Okay. So that's it. Um, the question is, if he is to change allegiance and play for Peru, it has to fall at the feet of Graham Arnold, doesn't it? But do we sack Arnie because of it, or is that what we're saying? I'm not saying sack Arnie, but Arnie's been pretty good in getting players to acknowledge their heritage and or their ancestry and and get them across. Um, Look, yes, it does. Who should have gone? Who should have Alex replaced in the current yeah, squad? Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. I think it's a good call. I think, like, but yes, yes Beck has been Alex Robinson yep. is having a great season for Portsmouth. He's probably up there with the best players in League One this season. And yes, the flip side is that the Socceroos have had plenty of great players in League One down the years that didn't really amount to uh, more than that. But he looks like the most informed midfielder we've got at the moment. And picking him seemed like a pretty obvious choice to make. Yes, I know the Olympics are important and you want him for that. And if he is to declare for Peru, then he can still play for Australia at the mm-hmm. Olympics. But picking for the Asian Cup squad just to cap him, just to lock him in for the Socceroos, because he would have gone. He was up for it. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. Had Australia picked him, he would have gone. There's no doubt. What's happened with Hurstich? He's injured, isn't he? That's why um, long-term injury. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, you know, that's one omission that I thought okay, but yeah, I seem to recall there was a long-term injury um, suffered by him, which it would explain his absence. 
Marcy <sighs> never really got into the team at uh, Hell's Verona. Mm. I would the game time. He was a squad player there. Yeah, I would suggest that. You're right. Yazbek, who is an up and comer, the you know, young player as well, something that the someone that the soccer fans can look toward in the future. But I don't know if he will actually feature whilst you could have thrown on Robertson easily, I think, in games to be a bit of a think, game changer. I think Robertson, you could make the argument for him to start games. I agree. I agree. Who's okay? So who the we did say last week that we thought the midfield was light. Mm. Um, who are the starters? Obviously, Irvine. Yep. Backers. Yes, it will be Backers. And who's the other? McGree. No. It might just be a two. <laughs> okay. So we're we looking at playing a four-two-three-one. These well, now four-four-fucking two. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't know. Well, we could be. Yeah, we could be playing four-four-two. I thought we like Garni tends to go favor um four five one really or four two three one generally. Yeah. But yeah. So watch the space, isn't it? With regards to the soccer. Watch the space. Mm. And look, there's three players I see as ones that really should be capped to ensure their services for their careers. It is Robertson, mm-hmm. Nestry, mm-hmm. who's eligible for Tanzania and Burundi, mm-hmm. as well as uh Kachati. Yes. I think, particularly because this week I've seen links for Kachati to go to, um, I think I saw Everton and I saw Atleti mm. he was linked to, which would be great moves for him. They would. Yeah, they would. Either but or. I think if, if, if he moves to Atleti, the chance for him to claim for Australia diminish because mm. he might be good enough for Italy at that point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's definitely watch the space with regards to that. I think you're right that we do need to cap players as early as we can, uh, provided that the manager feels that they can do the job for them as well, right? Because at the end of the day, he's it's his job on the line. It like, is. No, but if even he, so, yeah. like, World Cup qualifiers against Bangladesh, like, bring them on, get one out of three ticked off. Yeah, uh, look, your points are valid. Definitely, definitely valid. Cannot dispute that at all. It's yeah, and what's happened here is that we've been left exposed and we may lose out on three long term starters for the Socceroos. Yeah. I would hope not. I would hope not. So do I. I would hope not. And if you ask me to put money on it, I reckon we would get at least two out of three. I think Nestri yes. and Kachati would be leaning more towards the Socceroos than Robertson and just off the back of the news in the last forty eight hours. But I do think we get at least two out of three. But we yeah. need as uh, many good players, particularly young ones, as we can. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think if they go to the Olympics, though, that goes to show that they're committed to being part of the system. So then, you know, the next thing would be to cap them. Yeah. And you need three competitive games for a mm. national team before you can mm. before you can say you're locked in for life, so to speak. Correct. Correct. Uh, it used to be one, but uh, that threshold yeah, that's dropped. Right. Yeah, mm. it used to be one. Um, Laz, alien news. This week, yeah. yep. there's uh, been some investigation done on Soccer Twitter. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you would have seen what's happened off the back of it, but it was found by someone on Soccer Twitter that uh, the A-Leagues have uh, changed the rules for this season. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with this going. I, right. I, don't do, I don't delve into the world of soccer, S-O-K-K-A-H, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I try not to anyway. Uh, but someone found on their website... On yes. the Ailey's website. Yes. 
uh, the uh, rules for this season. Right. And there was a small change that, at the time, mm. nobody knew about. Okay. What and is it it's how the, uh, how the league table gets sorted. Go on. So a lot of countries around the world do, obviously, competition points first, and then if you need a split, you go goal difference, Correct. goal scored, yep. and then head-to-head if you need it. Yep. Some countries do head-to-head as the first tiebreaker. Correct. But most are goal difference. Yep. For this season, the first tiebreaker for the A-League is wins, not goal difference. Hmm. I don't like that. There's two separate points here. Mm-hmm. It's that change, which we'll talk about in a sec, in more, mm. but also that they didn't tell anybody that they changed it. The coaches had no idea. Broadcasters had no idea. Their in-house social media teams had no idea because Wellington are officially now top of the league because they've got one more win than the victory but and they've got a worse goal difference. Mm. <laughs> so there's two points here. It's the change itself and the communication. Now, what do you make of it all? I can't believe that. <laughs> I really can't believe it. It's a league. Yep. Goal difference should stand for something, and that should be the first tiebreaker. Mm. You've seen leagues won and lost on it. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> as you would know. <laughs> right. So you know, no, I'm not a fan. Go mm. back to go back to go back to goal difference, and then if it needs to be goal scored, well then that's a good one as well. Yeah, and they say it's to promote attacking football. Is it, but because if you go one nil up you get more value out of sitting in protecting the clean sheet than you would getting the second goal because 1-0 versus 2-0 doesn't make a difference on the ladder. Very true. According to that model, yeah. Yeah. Don't like it. Nah. Don't like it. I, I just think, hmm. Someone's tried to reinvent the wheel and be too clever by half and there's no need for it. No. Particularly in an uneven competition as well. I correct, think. yeah. Yeah, correct, yeah. Where you might play the teams that don't make the six more correct. often than teams that do. I agree. So you're gonna make you're gonna pick up more wins off the back of that, and it's tricky because I don't like head to head either as a first tiebreaker. Spain does it, Turkey does it. Yeah, I think I prefer goal difference over the course of a season rather than head to head. But if head to head doesn't work, then yes, go to that. Yeah, I don't like head to head because if a team goes three in a lot, the team losing just stops trying because they don't have anything to gain from still keeping it tight, keeping it as three nil. But there's sure. no difference between losing 3-0 and 6-0. Yes, there is. It's three goals. No, but if head-to-head's the first tiebreaker. True. In the, From that aspect, yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, for mine, goal difference is the best. Oh. There's a reason why it's the most popular one around the, around the world. and But it also, it reflects. it's a reflection of the whole season as opposed to the head-to-head, mm. right, which is just two moments in time, whilst goal difference reflects the whole season. And it's also reflective of how well you can score goals and how well you can keep them out. It's, it's correct. Balanced. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Completely. Completely. Um, yeah. And I'm not of the opinion that because the rest of the world does it, we should do it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't subscribe to that. But in this instance, goal difference is the best solution. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. 100%. It's just crazy the other side of it, the communication. Or lack of. Lack of, exactly. And mm. like... Simon Hill went to Twitter this week and said the Wii broadcasters had no idea about the change, which is ludicrous. You're right. You're right. But, you know, reinventing the wheel for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. Not good. Um, the story that I wanted, that I kind of alluded to last week mm, yep. was 
between South Melbourne and Football Victoria. Now, the president or the chairman, rather, of South Melbourne Football Club mm-hmm. decided to say a couple of things at um, an end-of-season function, right, which, in retrospect, maybe he shouldn't have said. Um, so, effectively, what's happened is this. Just bear with me. I'll just bring up the comments so I don't uh, get it wrong. So it was held at um, so it was their Christmas um, um, do at Lakeside Stadium, mm-hmm. where it says that you know South Melbourne are great. You know it's fantastic to be back um, in the new Australian second tier, and that you know they'll be glad to leave the cesspool effectively. Quote up <laughs> cesspool of um, NSL. Um, Sorry, NSL of the the MPL, I should say. Mm. Right. Um, those <laughs> comments went down like an absolute lead balloon. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, prompting Football Victoria to actually issue an official response, right, to those comments. And yeah, it's ah, dear idea. It's laughable. It really is laughable that um, that Football Victoria felt the need to actually. Say this. So, Football Victoria is aware of false allegations recently made by South Melbourne Football Club at a club function against the member federation. These inflammatory remarks made by former representatives of the club are strongly condemned by FE as being inaccurate and damaging. Football Victoria, under the associated 2024 MPL license, as well as the member code of conduct, will be investigating these comments and determine appropriate action or sanction through the grievance and disciplinary tri- and tribunal process. FE welcomes constructive feedback and engagement through established channels for the betterment of football and our community. End of statement. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, crazy, really, <laughs> absolutely yep. crazy. Um, uh, I would say to uh, South Melbourne that uh, you're not out of the MPL just yet. Just quietly, yes, I agree with you. They aren't just out of <laughs> the MPL as yet. Look, but, it looks um, like they're going to the second tier, but they're not there yet. Well, they're one of the foundation clubs, aren't they? Yeah, but um, this competition hasn't started and things it, can change. It hasn't. So here we go. I found the statements from um, Nicholas Mykusis, who said, and yeah, it's here we go. We're celebrating together and are very happy that we've all gathered here. We desire to arrange a casual evening for fans, sponsors, for greatly supported us over the years. Uh, we wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Australian football is entering a new era and we're pleased to be proud and contribute to this change. We've eagerly awaited news about the establishment of the second tier for nearly 20 years and we're thrilled with and thrilled that it has finally arrived. Um, Not our, yet. I <laughs> wish, listen, it gets better. I wish for our teams to be at the top in the new year. Our players know the responsibility that comes with wearing the team shirt. I'm confident they will fulfill it. And then, can you believe the outrageous news that came this week from Football Victoria? Question mark. Apparently, they chose someone for a role, which is the CEO role, mind you, after discussing with 140 people. But how can we trust the process when the outcome was predetermined? Question mark. Thank God that by 2025, this SND will be in full swing and we can finally bid farewell to the backwards ways of Football Victoria. <laughs> so, so he's doubled down. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So the CEO, newly appointed CEO, I should say, of Football Victoria is Chris Bilvanis from 
ex uh, Western United. Yeah. Who's taken on the role at Football Victoria. Um, Is that a promotion? I don't think so. I have no idea why you would actually bother to, you know, unless there's a personal grievance of some sort. I'm not sure, sure mm. right? But I've, I don't understand why you would have to go down that path. I found it interesting, though, nonetheless, to see, you know, we're trying to unite football and try and keep football united, and yet this happens, so. Yeah, I mean, the state feds cause a lot of issues around the country. Yes. You look at uh, Football Queensland and Different, the stories that yes. have come out in the last Agree. six months. Yes. Agree. There are differences, but look, I think uh, you're not everyone behind football. That also goes for administration fronts as well. Correct. Correct. Humorous, somewhat. Oh, yeah, bit, it's funny. <laughs> bit, of, bit of controversy, though, I have to say, with regards to that. Mm. I mean, even yeah. to the point where Football Victoria felt the need to actually issue that um, statement prior to Chris Pilavanis taking on the role because he obviously took on the role from the 1st of January. And those comments were made at the Christmas party. So ridiculous. But um, look, there's no doubt South Melbourne are a huge club in terms of, um, you know, and they'll tell you about it. That's for sure. Right. South Melbourne aren't backward in coming forward. Um, no, and definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah. yeah no shout doubt. out, Mike. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no doubt that they're a, or, or Nicholas, um, uh, and, uh, and their board. But um, yes. They're not backward and coming forward, and you know they'll tell you that they're the Oceania Club of the Century and all that kind of jazz. Good on you, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, just um, tread warily. I suspect might be the best way to to go forward. Yeah, indeed, indeed. What are you looking forward to this weekend, Les? No, there's only one thing that's on my mind: Saturday <laughs> the night. FA Cup. That's it. Saturday <laughs> night. I mean, Real Madrid are playing tomorrow morning as we record, but yes. Um, you know, into the weekend, but uh, yeah, um, FA Cup, that's it. Looking forward to the third round and the small yep. and the small matter of Sunderland versus Newcastle mm, and how that and how, and how that plays out and the fallout as well. I think is going to be just as interesting as the game itself. Uh, so you get to be a Sunderland window. <laughs> I mean, I'm you always going to back the underdog, aren't I? Yeah, good on you. Um, <laughs> okay, and how about yourself, Nathan? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Sevilla Athletic Club Ooh, on Friday a, morning. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, also Friday night, the Bulls hoping to uh, snap this three-game losing streak <laughs> at, at home to Newcastle. Uh, I think it'll be four games, but anyway. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> that, that's revenge for what I just said about Sunderland, that, isn't that, it? That's right. And sorry, <laughs> and sorry, the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. FA Cup third round, one of the best days in the football calendar. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt. Who man you got? Uh, Manchester United have been drawn away at uh, Wigan. Mm, easy day in the office for Wigan then. You would think so. <laughs> <laughs> you pull the old switcheroo on me. <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, I think we've hit the backpack, Mr. Gremos. <laughs> indeed, Mr. Gould. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Been a pleasure as always. That it has. That it has. Thank you, listener, as well, for checking this pod out. Uh, do send your feedback in on Insta or Twitter at the back peg. And stay tuned because next week we are going to get rip roaring into the two international tournaments that start this month the African Cup of Nations and the AFC Asian Cup. Uh, bumper preview pods are on the way. Yes. Uh, little sneak peek. We've already spoken to one of our guests. Correct. All the previews. 
So Correct. we're going to have a wide-ranging uh, pool of guests to come on and tell us about how the tournament is going to go and the countries in which they're based and going to be a whole lot of fun. It's going to be run yeah. similar to the other international tournaments we've covered in the past, but uh, very much looking forward to this uh, festival of football. Indeed, indeed. No, we're trying to do our best to get uh, people on from different parts of the world, but you know, fingers crossed we can manage to uh, uh, to get people from interesting places to talk about teams and groups and things like that. So looking forward to uh, putting that all together or, you know, and doing those uh, interviews, which is really good. Very much so. And mm. don't worry, the regular Backpeg episodes aren't going anywhere. We're going to run three series at the same time. The regular Backpeg, AFCON and the Asian Carb, all concurrent. Let's be having you. Oh, I don't know where we're going to find the time, Nathan, but we'll definitely try our best. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll work it out. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Enjoy the football all and take care this weekend and Happy New Year again. Happy New Year. We'll speak to you soon.